0: My name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church in Noblesville. We're continuing today in our sticky stories. Um, These are stories you heard as a kid, but the lessons that they give you stick with you throughout your life. And today we're going to look at the story of Jonah. And if you picked up a sticker on your way in, you probably have already figured that out because there aren't too many uh, large fish or whales in the Bible. But uh, his story is found in Jonah chapter 1. And so if you've got your Bibles or a Bible app, you might open them there, Jonah chapter one. Uh, If you can't find it, Jonah is near the end of the Old Testament. Uh, He's part of a group of books called the Minor Prophets. Jonah was a prophet uh, of God, and he was one of the Minor Prophets. Now, Minor Prophets doesn't mean that what they said was less important than Major Prophets. It has everything to do with how much of their writing we have captured in Scripture. And so the Major Prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, might have 50 or 60 or more chapters in their books, and people like Jonah only have four. That's why he's a Minor Prophet. But he's in that section, um, not because his words or stories are unimportant. If you open the Old Testament right to the middle, I'm just giving you some directions here, okay? If you open your Old Testament right to the middle, uh, you may find the major prophets You'll want to turn to the right of that to go find Jonah. So his story is a famous one. In fact, I bet if, even if you didn't grow up in church or if you've never even read the Bible, there's at least one thing you know about Jonah's story, and that's that he was swallowed by a fish or a whale. Maybe, we don't know. Bible doesn't tell us for sure. Um, But some of you may, because of that very fact, some of you may even write off this story and say that's so ridiculous that a person would be swallowed or eaten by a whale that I just can't even believe that's true. But did you see this video that just went viral a few weeks ago? Uh, This is from a 2021 whaling expedition with some kayakers where they were... uh, Attacked, attacked, I'm using the word attacked by a humpback whale. They were immediately brought into the whale's mouth and, fortunately, spit right back out. In case you didn't see it, uh, they were spit right back out. But I just want to say, first of all, that they were kayaking, they were on a whale watching trip where they were kayaking around these large creatures and they were chumming the water with fish. And so if you watch the video, which there's actually video from the kayaker's point of view, you'll see right before they get taken up out of the water, there's all these little fish swimming around them. And so it's like, you know, sometimes stuff happens to us, and sometimes we happen to stuff, you know? I think this is one of those things where they kind of happen to the whale, but... but. Fortunately, those two kayakers escaped being injured or killed, but go back a bit in history, and one man was not so lucky. His name was James Bartley, and his story was widely reported in several newspapers in 1891 as having been swallowed whole by a whale and living in its stomach for 36 hours until he was accidentally rescued by some whalers. Uh, The story, which first appeared in the St. Louis Democrat in 1891, detailed how Bartley had been on a whaling ship, which was attacked by the whale and then the whale swallowed the man and the rest of his crew eventually found the whale and began skinning it not knowing that Bartley was inside of it you can imagine their surprise when they cut this whale open and their counterpart jumped out of the stomach of this whale uh, found their former sailing mate there reports say that Bartley's skin was bleached from the whale's gastric juices and he was blind for the rest of his life now in Jonah's case it's true that the fish or the whale, this fish tail is the most important part of his story and that's why we've included this image on this sticker if you take this with you today. Um, but we're not gonna spend much time on the fish because honestly, I think it's the least important part of Jonah's story. In fact, uh, we're only gonna spend a couple minutes on it uh, and and because of the absurdity of this idea that Jonah was uh, swallowed by a fish and then spit back up three days later, some scholars say that this story is maybe not a true story, but maybe allegory. Uh, One thing we do know is it's not a parable, okay? And the difference between allegory and a parable, a parable is a story with made up characters. Usually they don't have names, uh, but we know that Jonah was a real person, a real prophet of God, because we see his writing, we see his um, prophecy other places in scripture. It's also very likely that this story was written by Jonah himself as it contains some details that only he would have known. And so let's dive in to the story and let's see what we can learn. Jonah 1, 1 is where we'll start. And preach, says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, uh, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, this doesn't seem like an unreasonable request from God. After all, Jonah is a prophet. A prophet's job is to speak the word of God to people who need to hear it, who maybe don't want to hear it. And that's what we see Jonah do in 2 Kings 14. Uh, He's uh, prophesied to King Jeroboam II. He's uh, telling him things maybe Jeroboam doesn't want to hear. But there's something in Jonah's spirit that's stopping him from wanting to go to Nineveh. We see that in verse 3. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, there's an interesting phrase here that says Jonah ran away from the Lord. That's in the very first part of that verse. You see that Jonah ran away from the Lord. Now, as if you can flee from a God who is everywhere, right? Here's how King David wrote it in Psalm 139. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. The implication here is that you can't run away from God. If anyone should know that, a prophet of God should know that. But Jonah's going to try. He's called to go to Nineveh which is a city east of Israel and modern-day Iraq. You can see Nineveh all the way over there to the right or uh, all the way to the right side of the map. Like I said, modern-day Iraq. You can see Israel uh, down there as point A, which is where Jonah starts. Instead, where's he gonna go? He's gonna go to Tarshish. You can see Tarshish is in modern-day Spain, probably around Gibraltar. And so that's where he's headed the opposite way that God sent him. God sent him to the east. Jonah's gonna go to the west, uh, but he can't get away that easily because where can you go to flee from God? Verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The Lord sends a strong wind. This is a theme. This is going to be a theme we'll see throughout the story of Jonah, this strong wind, and it brings up a lot of questions. And maybe you read that and because you're going to see that it's going to cause the ship to really go through some uh, stormy weather here and to kind of start to break apart but would God cause the storm a lot of times we ask that about things that are happening in our lives or if there are bad things happening did God God cause that to happen did God allow that to happen what's going on here we see um, you know that the Lord sent the wind would God possibly allow innocent sailors to be harmed just so he could get Jonah's attention is that what's going on here I mean the Bible's very clear God's the one that sent the storm It was his creation. It was his doing, but not before Jonah was disobedient. And then we also see in this that God is merciful and that he gives Jonah a way out. And that way out is obedience. That if Jonah were just obedient, he would find a way out of the storm. The sailors on the ship, other sailors start looking around. It becomes quickly apparent this is no ordinary storm. They immediately recognize that this particular storm has a supernatural quality about it. And so they start praying to their own gods. They start asking around, who do you worship? Maybe you should go pray to your God. Who do you worship? Uh, And then finally, they realize that Jonah is nowhere to be found. Jonah is downstairs in his cabin taking a deep nap. And so they go find him, and they say, which God do you worship? And in verse 9, he answered, I'm a Hebrew And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrifies the sailors on this ship because most of the nations around them would have believed in their own gods and they would have had a God of the sea and a God of the wind and a God of the sun and a God of the storm. But to hear this one God that's all powerful that controlled both wind and sea, well, that was news to them. Uh, But rather than pray to God as the sailors ask, and rather than repent, which Jonah knows will bring a calm to the storm, Jonah has another solution, verse 12. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. This gives us this best, our best clue yet as to why Jonah was being disobedient. He hates the Ninevites. He hates them. He may be racist, he may be self-righteous, we don't know, he might be both, but he would rather die then see God have mercy on his enemies. And so that's what they do. <laughs> they, they pick him up and throw him in the sea, but, not, but before Jonah confessed, they also threw a bunch of cargo overboard. They, they lost a bunch of containers that were bound for this port in Tarshish, uh, stuff that somewhere, someone, or someone along this journey was counting on receiving at some point. And that's a good reminder to us of how our sin and our disobedience can have an impact on other people. Because of Jonah's disobedience, some people at the end of the line who are waiting for their package, waiting for Amazon delivery uh, or whatever, they're going to find that their package is not there. Whatever they were counting on is not there. And why? Because Jonah was disobedient to the Lord. Um, our, our sin, our disobedience can have an impact on others, even people we don't know sometimes. Sometimes. And so here's, here's where Jonah is swallowed by this giant fish or whale. We don't know. It doesn't matter. He stays there for three days and three nights. But as Bible-believing Christians, uh, we should believe it really happened if for no other reason than Jesus retold this story in the New Testament. He retells the story of Jonah. And he used it as a prediction of how he himself would be buried in the grave for three days and then rise, rise again. Which brings to mind the question, is this story meant to be history or Prophecy. In other words, is this a story about something that actually happened, or is this actually a story about something that's going to happen in the future with Jesus? And the answer is yes. (laughs) Yes, it's history, and yes, it's a messianic prophecy or a prophecy about Jesus. So just like a parent who makes a child go to their room and think about what they've done, uh, Jonah gets to sit in a quiet, dark place with time to think for three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights, he finally relents. Notice I said relents and not repents. There is a difference. Relenting is to give up, right? He gives up. And in in chapter two, if you read through this, he gives this really great heartfelt prayer that we have captured in the Bible. It ends like this. Verse eight says, uh, Jonah 2, 8, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then verse 10 says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, that may not seem like the most pleasant experience, all right? Being vomited up by a whale, A fish, if it's a whale, did you know that whales in their digestive tracts produce an aromatic substance that has great value on land? Did you know this? It's called ambergris. It's produced in the digestive system of a whale, and it was used in the last century. It was used to make perfume. Now, it's largely been replaced with synthetic chemicals, just like everything else in our society, Um, but it actually has a pleasant, floral, earthly smell to it. But Jonah does not come out smelling like a rose. See what I did there? Yeah, is that good? I'm trying to decide if I'm going to use it second service or not, so you guys let me know. What we'll see from reading this story is that despite his prayer, Jonah's heart has not been changed from this incident, and that's unusual. Because I think this is one of those events that he's probably going to remember for a while. Uh, You know, it's one of those events that would probably divide Jonah's life into before and after. Right? If this is a story, can you imagine if you have this story to tell at a dinner party sometime? Right? You would probably divide your life into, oh, that was, let's see, when was that? Oh, that was before the fish, right? That was, that, oh, that was, that's happened after the fish. I remember because I still smelled like fish vomit. Um, so many people have an experience like this. Maybe you've got one in your life where your whole life is divided into before and after, uh, an unexpected death a life-threatening disease, something happens in your life, and it makes you divide your entire timeline of your life into before and after. When I was 19 years old, uh, my best friend who I went to high school with was, we were best friends since sixth grade, Um, he was driving back from uh, Ball State University, and he fell asleep at the wheel of his car. He hit a park pickup truck, flew out the windshield, slammed into the back of the truck cab and landed in the bed of the pickup truck. And it was uh, an hour or so before someone found him there. And at first he was paralyzed, but he eventually got back his feeling in his legs. He got, then he started to get a little bit of movement. It took him six months to learn to walk again. But that's been 35 years and he still walks with a limp. His whole life is divided into before the accident and after the accident. You've got to imagine that Jonah's whole life is divided into before the fish and after the fish. And and you you can see how something like that would change your life. But Jonah's heart was unfazed. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. So this is the the exact same thing he told him in chapter 1. This time, though, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. In fact, it wasn't just the leaders who repented, We see that, or the people who repented. We see the leaders turn back to God too. Uh, it says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, Took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is great, right? This is good news. This is exactly what God wanted to happen. And it's exactly what Jonah feared would happen. In fact, every indication we have in Scripture is that Jonah gave up his preaching after one day. This is how we can see his heart is not repentant here. Uh, Nineveh is a large city. Remember the first verse in that chapter tells us it's a three-day walk across the city of Nineveh. Jonah gets one day in, and after proclaiming the goodness of God and people repenting and turning back to the Lord, Jonah gave up. He didn't even do the job that he told God he would do. But no matter, somehow the unrepentant prophet led the people to repentance. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. It did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And this makes Jonah really angry. I mean, he did probably what the Lord told him to do out of fear, out of, okay, I guess I've learned my lesson, out of exasperation. I don't want that to happen again. So I'm gonna go do what he tells me to do. And But then when What what he predicted to happen happens, and they repent, and they turn back to God. He gets mad. He gets angry. But before we go off on Jonah for his self-righteousness, maybe we need to look at ours for a minute. We're always fans of God's mercy when it's applied to us. But not always when it's applied to others we don't think deserve it. I mean, how often do we see or hear about a celebrity who comes to faith in Christ, and we scoff? I don't believe it. I've read his lyrics I've seen the movie she's been in. You know, uh, what about when we see someone who's been in prison? They're, they're accused of a crime. Maybe they're on death row and they have a dramatic conversion in the midst of their crisis. Something in us desperately wants a God who can change hearts while somehow holding on to the idea that other people are completely immune from that kind of change. Uh, the late Eugene Peterson said it this way. He said, I take it as a given that all of us would prefer to be our own God than to worship God. Just think about that for a minute. Well, here's how this affects Jonah chapter four. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Can you just see the self-righteousness in Jonah? You know, this reminds me of another story. It's a story from the New Testament and it's one that Jesus told. This one is a parable, but it's about two sons. And one of these sons, the younger son and his compulsiveness Asks for his inheritance early. In his youthful exuberance, he goes out and he spends every last dime and he comes back crawling on his hands and knees to beg his father to take him back. And the father, who's ever compassionate, runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and gives him a big hug and he throws a giant party. But in the background, we see this other son, this older brother who had always been obedient. He had Watch this whole story unfold with his arms crossed and a frown on his face. See, he didn't believe that his brother deserved a second chance. But what he didn't count on was that he had a father who was gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. We have a God of second chances. Look, look at how he responds to Jonah Jonah 4 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Man, what a great question that is. Was it right for Jonah to be angry? Was it appropriate for him to be upset or discouraged that other people had found their way back to God? I mean, didn't God have the right to save and rescue whoever he wanted? That's a great question to ask yourself anytime you find yourself angry with God. Well, Jonah needs to think about this question, so he wanders off. He wanders off and he finds this plant to sit under. Now, the Bible says that God provided this plant to Jonah. Jonah. He provided this plant to ease his discomfort. I love that even in his bitterness, God is kind to Jonah. You notice that? Even in his unrepentance, God is faithful. He allows Jonah to be comfortable. The Bible says to be comfortable in his discomfort. he's, He's pouting, he's hiding from his people, he's hiding from God. But, friends, how often do we get so comfortable in our discomfort? You know, we get caught in a pattern of sin or a habit, and it seems so familiar, but it allows us to ignore God's presence in our life. You know, Jonah loves this plant so much, this plant that provides this glorious shade. He loves it so much. Why? Because it allows him to ignore God. It allows him to escape the reality of what's happening around him, and so God kills it. By the way, God will often kill the things in our lives that are acting as idols for us. And we sometimes think of that as mean or cruel or unnecessary, but God will have no other gods before himself. So God sends a wind, another another wind. He sends a wind, a scorching wind, a hot wind that burns up the plant. Well, this story ends pretty abruptly with this exchange between God and Jonah. You'll see it in chapter four, verse nine. But God said to Jonah again, "Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You know, is it right for you to be angry about the people? And then, when God burns up the plant, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is," he said. Jonah said, "And I'm so angry. I wish I were dead." But the Lord said, "You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend or tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight." He says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, where there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. And this is where the story ends. We don't ever get an answer, but obviously the implication here is that God's right, Jonah's wrong, and he should be concerned for people, even people that we don't care for. Here's what I'd like to take away from today, this story. So, so often we use these Bible stories as a mirror. We, we try to find ourselves in there. But, you know, in this case, I mean, Jonah's stubborn and disobedient. We don't have anything to learn from that. So let's just ignore that, right? You know, we, we hold these up as a mirror. We end up looking at ourselves and saying, where do I see myself in the story? Am I Jonah? Am I angry about something with God? Is Am I upset about something? Am I bitter about something? Am am I being stubborn? Am I being disobedient? Am I ignoring God's plan? And while that's useful sometimes, I'd like to use this story not as a mirror to see ourselves in it, but as a window to see the character of God better. And here's one thing that became blatantly obvious as I read the story again this week. It's this, God is faithful even when we're not. What does that mean? Well, Jonah's concerned about his own life. He's concerned about his own comfort. He, well, God is concerned about the state of this large city, these people in Nineveh. Jonah, whose very job it is, by the way, as a prophet to bring the word of God to people who need it, is unrepentant and disobedient. But God remains faithful even when Jonah doesn't. Jonah is angry at God's mercy. He he doesn't want God to rescue his enemies. That's why he ran away. That's why he quit after one day. That's why he pouted like a toddler under this plant after they found their way back to God. That's why he went to Tarshish in the first place. And it's the same reason, friends, that we often run from God. It's why, Christians, it's why we don't want to share our faith. We don't want to get in those messy disciple-making relationships. We'd rather go to Tarshish. But again, Eugene Peterson says that Tarshish is a dream, a vision, a goal. Nineveh is mappable, has dust and dirt in the streets. It's full of the kind of people you don't particularly want to spend the rest of your life with. And so I think we're all a little bit like Jonah. We, we gravitate toward people who look like us and talk like us and vote like us and we're born as the, in the same country as us. And that's exactly the problem. But see, God is not like that. He created each and every one of us. And the Bible says that he desires that everyone would find their way back to him. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is so much a part of the character of God that he doesn't just talk about it. He did something about it. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His son, Jesus, came to earth to seek and save those who were lost. And Romans 3.23 reminds us that that means all of us, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But because of his great mercy, the apostle John writes that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who received him, to all who believed on his name, all who believe are children of God. Author and podcast host, host Terry Lee Cobble says, since God himself isn't confined to a body and we're all made in his image, then there's something in every single person that has a point of connection for him. So he spreads out his love to people from among every nation. I just want to think about it this way, this week as I leave here. Everyone you've ever laid eyes on, is somebody that Jesus went to the cross for. You've never met anyone he didn't die for. You've never been angry at anyone he didn't die for. You've never argued with anyone online Jesus didn't die for. You've never been cut off in traffic by someone Jesus didn't die for. You've never cut someone off in traffic who Jesus didn't die for. You've never been married to anyone Jesus didn't die for. You've never dated anyone Jesus didn't die for. You've never been flipped off or cussed out by anyone that Christ didn't give up his life for. That's what I mean when I say God is faithful, even when we're not. Jonah doesn't like this. When the people believed and repented, God made a new covenant with the people of Nineveh. He said, I'm never going to destroy them like I said I would. And is clearly mad because God chose to adopt his enemies into God's family. But for my sake, I'm really glad that this is in the character of God. Because I was an enemy of God once. I was on my own path to Tarshish, metaphorically, of course. But while I was still a sinner, God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue me. And he did this for you too. You know, just like the people of Nineveh, God made a covenant with us. A covenant, if you don't know, is a promise. It's a way of making people who aren't family into family. And God did that for us. Most of us are not of Jewish origin. We were not of the people of God. We were not part of the family of God, but he, by his own action, not from anything that we did, he graciously, intentionally made us into his family. He's a good father. He's a merciful savior and a faithful God. Let's give him thanks for that today. Would you pray with me? Father God, I am so thankful that you're faithful because I am so often not. And Lord, I just confess that now in front of this room, in front of you, I think so many of us in this room, we, in, our, in our most honest moments, we would admit we're not always faithful to you. That we have dreams and desires that are so different from those that you probably have for us in our lives. I'm so thankful that you are a faithful God, that even when I'm not faithful, you choose to be faithful. You are good to your word. You are who you say you are. Your promises are always true. God, thanks for showing us that today, even through the story of Jonah. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.